theme uh, this year, starting from September, is Kingdom Vision. And it's trying to help us have a picture of what God's kingdom looks like, um, how that affects our life, but also affects uh, our relationships with people, but also how it affects uh, how we view ourselves. And uh, the past couple of weeks, we've really had a good chance to go through and kind of look at, well, what is God's vision for his kingdom? We've looked at the city of God. We've looked at Jesus. Uh, we've looked at from the very beginning of uh, the creation. Um, and then today, kind of looking at all together, we do this thing called World Today. And World Today, what happens is we stop and we look at something that happened this week in the news, and, and we try to think about, well, what, does, what do we think about as Christians from this? How do we respond in these kind of ways? This week, um, a lot of crazy news <laughs> happened this week. Um, and it's a kind of really crazy news that... Uh, is also very heavy, but also I don't know how much there is to comment about it because they're coming about constantly. Uh, anyone know what kind of big things happened this week? There's a lot. Uh, right? So we'll, let's, let's, that is one. We, let's start. I'll just put this one up first. This guy. So uh, what, happened, what happened this week with this guy? I thought we should start with the British government. Uh, so did anyone know what happened with him? Yeah. Yes, so the thing, like this week, it feels so long ago, right? But I think Monday, the Supreme Court says, oh, you're, you, what you did was, we have a feeling you did this so that you could stop Brexit discussions, which is basically undermining the principles of democracy. And so you are not allowed to prorogue uh, parliament in this case. So it's kind of crazy because Boris Johnson was... Uh, this is how his week started off. And then actually the week got progressively worse for him. Uh, so every day you're reading something and it's like, wow, I don't know where the British government's going to go from here. Uh, okay, so that's, that's the UK. That's, um, then this guy, okay, uh, Clement brought up. Uh, this week, um, so the big news is, uh, okay, wait, first going back to, to Boris Johnson. So his response, I don't know if you uh, watched this, but uh, the MPs, then the parliament, everyone came back to work. And uh, there was a long session of MPs being really angry at Boris Johnson and him saying, no, I'm allowed to do that. Well, actually, his solicitor saying, no, we're allowed to do that. Go on, bring it on, bring an election. No one wants to elect Corbyn. Go ahead, see what happens. And then that was his response to this. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was discovered uh, that he has been uh, trying to use the withdrawal of congressionally approved military aid to a nation so that by telling that nation that they should investigate one of his political opponents, which if you don't know, uh, is basically very common practice amongst dictators uh, or other uh, totalitarian regimes or mock democracies out there. Uh, I won't name those countries, but in those kind of places, uh, it's a very similar kind of thing. And uh, it's, getting, it's getting worse for him. So up until now, the uh, the United States has been uh, hesitant to actually begin impeachment trials because it's so divisive. Um, but at this point, there's uh, what they say are smoking duck guns falling left, right, and center out of all sorts of things. Uh, secret servers, communications with the Kremlin. It's getting bad. Uh, but of course, we don't know what's going to happen to this. Uh, Donald Trump's response to this as his response to every uh, scandal that's come against him was, maybe I did it. I did it. But who cares? I'm allowed to do it. Look at him. He's bad. Um, so that's his still kind of, kind of thing. He's still doing that. Uh, and uh, people are still believing him. And so his response again was denial, accepting responsibility, then saying, I'm allowed to do that. Okay. So, and then we come to, and then Monday also kicked off with uh, this young lady. Do you know who she is? Well, her name's there. Um, Greta Thunberg, do you guys know what happened this week with her? Yeah, right. Yeah. 
if you notice this, so I, I will bring this up, I, Josh, because I was looking at this too, because I did a Google image search for her. Well, let, let, me, let me back up a little bit. Um, she is a climate activist. Uh, she started when she was about 15, actually, and she, the story behind her is she was uh, in class, and she started learning about this, and um, she suddenly realized, hey, the way the governments and people are doing nothing about climate is really bad for me and the future generations. So she started up really trying to encourage uh, students to walk out and protest against uh, the lack of uh, governments doing this. So this week she was at a climate summit, UN climate summit, on a panel, and her speech was very passionate and very pleased. I think she says, uh, she, I think, and, and then there was a moment where she was, it's an angry face, but also like, I'm about to cry face because I can't believe you grown-ups are doing nothing about this. Now, what's interesting is, and this is a freebie. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm throwing this out there. Uh, What you would have noticed was a lot of news agencies took that picture of her face and plastered it everywhere because that kind of picture uh, actually creates animosity towards her, and it makes you look at her thinking, oh, a young, angry girl. Why should we listen to her? Actually, the rest of her speech, she never made that face again. Actually, the rest of her speech is uh, actually surprisingly filled with a lot of facts. I don't know if anyone actually listened to the rest of it, but that soundbite in the beginning was what everyone latched onto. And that's some way where the press uh, tries to pick... See, I could have picked the angry face one, but I picked one where she actually looks sad um, because I think that's how she feels. Um, I think the quote, I, I'd walk, she ends with this. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency, but no matter how sad and angry I am, I do, want, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil. And that I refuse to believe. She's saying, you say you hear and you understand us, but you're not doing anything about that. If you're hearing what I'm saying but not doing anything, that makes you out to be a liar and deliberately trying to sabotage climate, and she doesn't want to believe that. In fact, she wants to either believe you don't hear what I'm saying, and that's why you're just naive, because that means that at least you're less uh, guilty in some sense. Now, here's the game for today. What do these three people have in common? They were all in the news this week. Okay, yeah, that's... they, they all actually uh, had some passion. There were some passionate responses to things. Uh, they both had to try to respond to some authority or some discussions about that. But actually, what I want to focus on today was actually all of them are under some sort of accountability or they're trying to hold something accountable. Um, for uh, the UK government, Boris Johnson is being held accountable by democracy, in other words, um, by parliament and by law. And so they're saying, you have to be accountable to the laws of this country and what you've done was outside of the laws, and so we're asking you to be held accountable to that. In other words, there's some judgment about that. Uh, Donald Trump is being held accountable to the US Constitution as well by saying, look, you are basically acting uh, in terms of treason and uh, that's not allowed, so we're going to have to hold you accountable for that uh, by beginning an impeachment inquiry. Uh, Greta Thunberg is trying to say, world leaders, you are accountable for how you take care of this world because we will feel the repercussions of this. And for her, she's looking at, um, I mean, worst case scenarios are indeed mass extinction of humanity. Um, I think microbes and Twinkies will survive, but I think humans are are in a bit of a worry there. And she's trying to hold uh, the world leaders and governments and uh, essentially businesses also accountable to this. Um, And when I I heard, I'll be honest, it actually started with Greta Thunberg. And when I heard her speak and heard her share... um, on one hand, I was, I was convicted about, okay, what, what are we doing about the climate? But the other part made me really think, wow, um, being held accountable, being held responsible for your actions here on Earth is 
something we don't think about that often, actually. Most of the time, we don't think about how much responsibility our actions have towards uh, things that are not directly in our sphere of influence. Um, and the truth of the matter is we are going to be held accountable for our lives, for how we live them, for what we do. And we see this in a very real way in terms of climate change. We even see this in a real way for eventually Donald Trump is going to be held accountable, um, whether through the judicial uh, congressional system or through lawsuits after he uh, comes down. Um, and at the same time, Boris Johnson and the UK is still going to be held accountable too in how Brexit is eventually handled. Um, the passage that I was drawn to this week was actually Luke 12. And this is not an... Uh, this is not an easy passage to read. In fact, this is probably not a passage we've uh, preached on very often. But it starts off like this, and it's, it's Jesus giving this parable. And he says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes, out, comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching. When he comes. So uh, the scenario is Jesus is telling this parable. He's not saying he's going out actually to a wedding, but he's saying, look, you guys all know what it's like. Uh, most of you people here, you work for someone, you're an employee. Um, when the boss goes away and he's going for a business trip, weddings there were not just like a Saturday afternoon and go back home. Weddings were you'd have to travel out there. It could be a week-long celebration. And so they're out for a long period of time. And the servants are like, well, we don't know when he's going to come home. We don't know how good this wedding's going to be, um, you know. But we should be ready for him when he returns. And so this is where Jesus is saying, yeah, imagine this. When the master does come home and says, hey, I'm home. Uh, he doesn't want to come home and no one opens the door for him. And he's like, where is everybody? What's going on? And this is how the parable continues. Uh, truly, I tell you, uh, yeah. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, and they're talking about the servant, will make him them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. So he's saying when the master comes home and the servants are there to greet him, he will share the joy of like, oh man, I had a great time the wedding. Come, sit down, let me tell you all about it. Grab some food. We'll share in this time together. He's saying a good master will celebrate with the servants if he comes home and finds the servants ready. Um, but, of course, uh, no matter what time of day. Um, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not let his house be broken into. He's saying something else. He's saying, now, imagine that uh, these people were not prepared. Um, that somehow, throughout the day, the, servant, the master came home and the servants were like, well, we're not doing anything. And uh, the house is in completely disarray. Uh, it would mean he'd be furious. And he uses the example of a thief. In other words, we all make sure our house is protected. But if we knew exactly what time the thief was coming, you know, we'd prepare for that specific time. But because we don't know, we have to prepare for anything. The takeaway point for us in this first part is you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. The hard part of this story is that Jesus is going to come again, and we're going to be accountable for how our lives have been led, for what our lives look like. And that is a hard thing to hear because we don't want to think about that. Um, so this summer, uh, what happened was my, uh, my wife took my kids to America first. Uh, so they went and they flew off to America and they you know, had a great time with my family. And I was here uh, for one more week uh, working and uh, going to do a wedding, a friend's wedding. And so I had to stick around. Um, and when my wife left... Um, I reverted back to like I was a university student. So uh, spicy chicken nuggets were released that week. I must have had them three times uh, a day. Uh, and uh, 
Not only that, uh, normally I wash up my dishes like straight away. Uh, I throw the rubbish away. I'm very tidy, uh, mostly because I don't know when the master will come home. Um, <laughs> actually, more clearly, I do know what time she's going to come home, so I want to make sure it's all clean because I know she's coming home today. But because she's away in America... Oh my gosh, I, I realized I left cups here and there. I didn't make my bed. I left stuff lying around. I was like, so what, right? No one else is coming to my house, whatever, until the day I had to fly off. Then I was like, wait, 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 wait. Let me think just two weeks ahead. Oh, we're flying back together. Oh, I'm coming back with my wife. Oh my gosh, I don't have time to clean. I have to clean up now. Like I have to sort everything else in the house now because I'm actually coming back with the master. So I better make sure things are tidy. And it's funny because at that point, there was a bit of panic. There was a bit of like, wait, if I'm doing a wedding on the Monday and I'm flying off on Tuesday and I'm coming back late on Monday night, that means I should have started cleaning yesterday. And then there's like a panic. There's also like, I better clean the shower just to make sure everything's extra clean because I want to make the house ready for when... I return because I like a clean house. You know how it is. Um, and um, there's this moment when there's that thing, that realization that kicks in, that, which says, huh, I'm going to be held accountable to what I'm in charge of, what I'm responsible for. Um, when I'm living in the house with my wife, we make sure this stuff is taken care of because obviously I have kids. You want to make sure everything's okay, things are orderly. Um, but I found that as soon as she was gone, it was like, I don't care. I'll just do whatever I want. I'm like a single free person. I, I, I lost sight of actually living in any kind of appropriate way. The, the worst case is, is then when my wife calls and I FaceTime her and then she says, oh, so what have you been up to? Right? That question. What have you been up to? And uh, th that's fine. I'll say, oh, just working. Then she'll say, oh, what have you eaten? And that's like, do, what do I say? <laughs> Uh, I didn't cook for one person, but I can't say spicy chicken nuggets again because that, that was just this afternoon and I had it again for dinner. What am I going to do? Th this question is when you know you're being held accountable, this question's the worst. What have you been up to? What have you been up to? The scary thing is this is the question that God is asking of us as well for our lives. It's the question um, the Congress is asking uh, Donald Trump. That's what Parliament's asking uh, Boris Johnson with the other scandals showing up in his life right now. That's what Greta's asking about the governments here. What have you been up to? The bigger thing is we are going to be held accountable too. Jesus is going to say, hey, what have you been up to with your life? Now, now, I wish I could say something great like we all feel like, yeah, it's been great, right? We're awesome people. I think the, 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 the terrible convicting thing in our life is like we know we know it hasn't. There's so many things each day that we think, well, great, I wasted the whole day tapping my phone and I collected like a thousand gems. What, what's my life worth? Um, or I, I spent my whole day, um, I now have watched 300 series on Netflix. Um, what have I done with my life? Or else even more than that, it's like actually um, how many times have I gone angry or how many times have I acted on my insecurity or my fear? What have you been up to with your life? <sighs> The older I get, the more I realize that I may have wasted days in my youth. Um, I know anyone who's working now thinks, man, I really wasted a lot of time in university. I could have used that time much more productively. People in university think to themselves, really? I feel like I'm always running behind with my deadlines. Um, but there's so much sleeping and eating that goes on during university. In other words, 
we need to start asking this now in your current stage where you are. The only way you make change in your life is if you stop and genuinely take stock of where you are at the moment and say, you know, what have I done? What do I need to do? Because I don't want to stay stuck where I am. Because the master is coming back. And when he comes back, I want to celebrate with him. I don't want to be scared because I've been hiding lots of stuff all over the house. You know, I don't want my wife to come home and see the way I cleaned the house was I just shoved everything under, my, under the sofas because she'll see it and then I'll be like exposed. It's like, I gotta make sure things are right. Now, the parable goes on and so that parable is pretty hard hitting in the beginning. It's already saying, look, you don't know when Jesus is coming back but you better be prepared. You wanna be ready, you wanna be like those servants ready. And then Peter, the disciple, asked this question which I think is a very normal question. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? This is the typical is this going to be on the exam? Or are you talking about me? Is this related to me? Or is this like other people? I mean, are you trying to tell them that they should be ready? Because I'm, I'm okay, right? Peter's essentially asking, I'm okay, right, God? I'm not in trouble. Jesus' Jesus's response, by the way, is brutal. It's like it's pretty hard-hitting. So it starts off with this. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you this, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So Jesus, he begins to say, look, oh, actually, right? No, Peter, right? I'm putting you in charge, right? Because who is a, you know, faithful and wise manager? So he's saying, Peter, yeah, see, like you're a faithful and wise manager. I would put you in charge of serving food to people. And you want to be responsible for that when you're coming back. The truth of the matter is, you think to yourself, well, I'm not Peter. I wasn't hanging out with Jesus. Actually, if you are a Christian, one of your main jobs in your life is to hang out with Jesus. Like, that is literally what your main priority in life to do is. It is to say, oh, I have the honor and privilege to hang out with Jesus every day to learn from him. It's not Sunday church or life group. It is saying, actually, every day, Jesus, I want to spend time with you. I want to learn from you. I want to be with you. Edwina, in her sharing and in her interview, she, she shared this story um, about how she went on a Bread and Life uh, International mission trip. And, and during that time, she spoke to one of the leaders there uh, who was leading the team. And she was talking to them, and she's talking about how to grow deeper with God. And the leader said, oh, yeah, I wake up at 5 um, every morning to spend time in God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I think, oh, that person's a really good Christian, really holy. You know, like, great for them. I think it's really good that that person. Edwina heard this and said, oh, I'm gonna, I want to wake up at five to read my Bible too. Now, like that alone shows a difference in the perspective of how good God is to, I think, how we view it. For us, we would think, wow, that's a, that's a real commitment ask, right? You know, I'm a really busy person. How do I have time? Edwina's a doctor, right? So, I mean, her life must be so free. No, she's not, she's like not even a consultant. She's like, everyone's pretty busy. She's pretty busy, but she's like, you know what? I'm going to set my alarm to wake up at five so that I can read the Bible. And she starts doing this, which is the other thing, which is amazing. Cause I know I would say, yeah, I'll set my alarm for five. Then a few snoozes later, wake up and rush to whatever I have to do, right? She wakes up at 5. She starts waking up at 5. She finds not only is it amazing that she wakes up at 5, she realizes, man, even if waking up at 5 and having an hour, it's not enough time. I wish I could spend more time in God's word. Now, when I, when I hear that and I read this passage, I think, wow, now that, see, that's a faithful 
and wise manager, right? That's someone who is daily doing something with God. There's this, this life, this belief in Jesus that is not just one directional, like, well, I believe in this guy, but there's this thing where in her time with Jesus, Jesus is filling her with so much more. Edwin is not a young Christian, and yet she's still finding this life and this joy in reading God's word. Like, if it's, if it's you and you're like, oh, really, Bert? I don't know. I've been a Christian for so long. When I read the Bible, I, it's like I know everything already. Really? You know everything about the Bible already? <laughs> Amen to you. May you come and preach. Um, there is there's this thing where I realize, I think for a lot of us, there is, it, it's an easy way to live life um, like everyone else, just going through the motions. And I, and I tell you, actually, most of us, we find ourselves uh, tired at work, uh, frustrated with people trying to work through issues that we can't seem to work through. And we keep saying, if we press hard enough, we're going to make that work. But actually, the reality is, if you go to Jesus and you really start there with him, and you start saying, well, actually, Jesus, I, I have faith in you, that, that begins to unfold. The, the reason we read about stories of Jesus is because we see people who go to Jesus or are brought to Jesus, when their faith is brought to him, Jesus takes what little bit like, oh, you, you had enough belief to come to me? then I will set you free from whatever is ailing you, and I'll give you this life. You know, what does Jesus use to describe himself? The bread of life, the living water. And yes, these are metaphors to things that happen in the Old Testament stories as well, but these are all things that give life. Jesus also outright says, I come to give you life and life to the full. I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel drained a lot of times. I feel like there's not a full life I'm having. And there are times I wake up and I think to myself, man, maybe I should read God's word. Maybe that will help me have more life. But part of me thinks, nah, I don't know. I'm not sure that was really going to work. I think if I just keep running harder, keep doing more, that's going to fix it. But I don't think that's the way it works. In fact, it seems like what Jesus is saying is when you spend time with him, if you know who your master is, if you are trusting and seeking out your master, he is going to be able to make changes in your life that you did not think were possible. It's the question, have you been faithful with what you've been given? See, all of us have been given so much. Like, seriously, we are overflowing with what we've been given. Um, we complain a lot about what we don't have, like a new iPhone or like uh, a, a, your own Netflix subscription instead of your friends. You know, you complain about these things. But actually, we have so much. I mean, you can start with uh, most of you guys, I'm guessing, did not sleep out in the rain last night. That's a start. Uh, most of you know someone, have a friend. Even if you say, oh, but they're not like a really good friend. Like, I don't feel like I could really open up to them. Eh, whatever, that's your own choice. You don't want to open them, that's your own fault. But to be honest, all of you know someone that could easily some become your friend, okay? You are not that isolated or that lonely. You don't live literally in a solitary confinement unit. You have, so many, you have access to the Bible, not just a paper one in the library, but probably uh, as a free app on your phone or on a computer, you know, you have so many access, so much resources. And there's this question, like, I'm worried, like, oh, actually, where I get to heaven, and God said, oh, what have you done with your, what have you done with your life? Well, I, I, you know, I overwhelmed you with so much. How have you, you know, how have you responded? I'll be like, well, um, so I watched every comedy special on Netflix. Does that, is that points? Um, you know, like, what are you going to say to him? Say, like, oh, I can speak some Japanese because I learned it from anime? Like, God will say, oh, that's so good. I'm so glad you used your Japanese 
to also reach to a country that nobody knows you. Like, I mean, like, no, no one knows who Jesus is. Like, in other words, there's so much. Like, we, we miss so many chances each day to just do small things, to just demonstrate. I mean, even small things, like demonstrate the love of God in kindness to someone or in conversation. Like, small things. Like, each day we have those opportunities and we pass them by. It's this question that, that, that's been gnawing me. Have we been faithful with what you've been given? The more we begin to see how blessed we are, actually how much God has given us, the more freely we'll be able to give out. But the more you feel like you are in need or in want or missing something, the more you're going to realize, oh, I'm dissatisfied all the time. Actually, God is, God is so good. And we are, we are recipients so much of that blessing. If you have two parents, you're already further along than a lot of people. If you have housing or clothing, you're already further ahead than a lot of people. If you have disposable income, oh my gosh, you're like way above. If you know Jesus, you understand, if you know Jesus, that means like when things are hard, you can pray to him. That's already so much more than so many people have. When I have to do funerals and they're funerals of people who aren't Christians and you see them grieving, you just think to yourself, wow, how are they going to get through this? Because they have, they have no eternity. They have no picture of hope. And yet we, we take it for granted, actually. We can talk sometimes about, you know, heaven so flippantly without realizing what an amazing privilege it is for us to be able to know Jesus and have that promise. See, this first part of the parable, Jesus is telling Peter, yeah, I mean, you're a wise and servant manager. I give you something responsible. And you do that, and you're responsible for that. That'd be amazing. And then he follows up with this. But suppose the servant says to himself, Mom, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. By the way, this is not like he's literally going to cut him to pieces, like mass murder type of thing. This is very much in this parable saying, look, the rebuke that that guy is going to get is going to be really serious. Because not only does he know what's right but is not doing it, right, this is Greta Thunberg all over again, right? You know what's right but not doing it. If you know what's right and not doing then you are essentially actively disobeying and living in that disobedience. And then he says, like, this is that picture, right? No, he's, he's just beating the other servants. He's just getting drunk. He's just living however he wants. It's that question again. What are you doing with the life that God's given you? That reminded me of a passage in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, this is a clinical passage to how I ended up going to full-time ministry, and let me read it out. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I finished my master's degree in information management, which turned out to have no use to me whatsoever, in chef, uh, so I graduated from Sheffield, and uh, writing your dissertation, even a small one, means you lock yourself in a room and do stuff. And when I finished, um, I said, I got I to gotta, I gotta go outside. I got to go someplace. Um, so I packed up my stuff and uh, went, went off, and I, moved, I went down to Cardiff for a few days, uh, just left, didn't tell anyone where I was going, and went a few days. And while I was down there, um, it was amazing because I just spent time uh, reading God's word and playing guitar, and singing, waking up early, and spending time with God. And it's amazing, 
But you know, when you spend time with God and you're eagerly seeking his word and you're asking him to show you stuff, he actually does and he teaches you, he helps you. And during that time, he gave me this passage and I was reading, I was like, wow, I realized make the most of every opportunity. You know, we, we are given so many opportunities in small things like talking about Jesus or showing compassion or love. You know, make the most of those opportunities because the days are evil. And you look around, the days are evil. It's bad. And we want to numb ourselves to say, well, if it's bad, might as well go out in a blaze of self-loving glory. I don't know. You're going to be held accountable to that. I'm not sure that's a good idea. Plus, you're going to have all sorts of stomach problems afterwards. So you may as well say, well, God, okay then. What can I do? What do you want me to do? Like, this, this passage is that strong contrast to the servant who's just saying, well, I don't know where my master is. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That story, that's the same as the Israelites. When Moses goes up the mountain, they're like, oh, he's gone. Where's our God now? I know. Let's make a golden cow and worship that. It's the same. We just find a different kind of golden cow to worship. And it doesn't satisfy. It never satisfies. It never is enough. But Jesus is. He really, really, really is. But if we don't believe it, we don't actually act on it. We can come to church. You can serve. You can play drums. You can preach even. But if you don't have a living relation with Jesus, then what for? It's empty. You have to really say, okay, no. Enough is enough. Jesus, I want my life for you. My time here on earth is short. Let me live the right way. It is that kingdom vision. You understand, you have this picture, like, not only is God's kingdom great, but his invitation is broad. He wants everyone in. So what can we do to demonstrate that love and let people know, actually, there is no comparison to the God that we know. There is no comparison whatsoever. We have to have that kingdom vision restored. See, then Jesus spells it right out. Because Peter is trying to say, well, this parable is not about me, right? I'm not going to be held extra responsible for it. I think he's almost trying to say, well, I'm close to you. We're buddies already, right? You're going to look out for me. And Jesus outright says, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Uh, this is, it sounds weird because all we read as Chinese people are, oh, beatings. So, oh, great. I know what kind of dad God is. So, let me clarify a few things. This is not a management technique, so do not go and learn your management skills from this. This, once again, is a parable, and Jesus is using examples that they would understand because this is what would happen to servants during that time. The thing we have to remember that is our God is not like that. In fact, his love is so great, he desires so much more for us. But let me tell you this. What if you know God's love is so great? What if you know he loves you so much and he gives you so much blessing, and then when you get to heaven, you see him, and you see well, all the stuff he's given you, your whole life unfolds before him, and you realize how much of your life you wasted. Let me tell you, will you feel pretty beat up? Will you feel pretty bad? God does not have to lay a finger on you because you will feel like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And, and God is saying, that is how you're going to feel. It's going to feel like that. Not only that, you're going to feel like you belong with the unbelievers. And he's saying, that's why you don't do that. You know, you know if you know the truth, then, then live that way. If you know what's real, then, then choose that way. You are not too young. You're not too old. You have the moment to start now to say, I am not going to be the same that I was yesterday because of what Christ has done for me means I can now live differently. 
You don't have to still be insecure. You can literally say, you know what? I am not going to be panicking over this because Jesus has changed me. That's not who I am anymore. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to move forward because actually God is greater than that. You really have to take hold of the promises of Christ and say, yes, this is now who I am. I have that kingdom vision. I am a citizen of his, and I live in that way. See, we go back to this first where it says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who is entrusted with much, much will be asked. I know sometimes we sit here and think, oh, but I'm not good at speaking, or I'm not good at music, or I'm not sociable, or I'm not funny, or I'm not... Let me tell you something, everyone here right now, all of us. We actually have Jesus. So we have been given, oh, I don't know, eternity, uh, eternal love. Uh, oh, he also gave us holiness, by the way. Like, we're completely sanctified. We don't have to sin. We just keep choosing to do it because we are uh, enjoy it and hate it afterwards. You know, like, it is, it is this amazing power of God that comes through you when you realize, wait, because of Jesus and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit he's given us, I can now choose to live differently. Every day, every moment, every opportunity is a chance to say, no, I'm choosing to live differently. I'm not going to fall victim to the same thing I did before. And you just have to stop. You have to look at your life and say, actually, what are the things that keep getting in my way? Like, what patterns do I keep seeing repeating? If I don't want that pattern repeating anymore, then you stop and say, I identify this parent. I see what the problem is. And I have to make this decision instead of the other one. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be in few blows. This is what Greta is saying. Please tell me that you're not really evil because you, do, you don't really hear what I'm saying. And he's trying to say, look, it's not that God is unjust. But if someone goes and says, yeah, I did not know. I had no idea that that was the case. The guilt they feel will be much less. I, unfortunately, I think for most of us, we do know what we're responsible for. And it's not about being afraid of asking. It's actually saying, God, if you show me what to be responsible for, I also know that you will help me move forward and have things unfold. The truth of the matter is you're accountable for how you've spent your life. This is not a, oh, well, whatever God desires, he'll make happen. No, God is saying this relationship that we have, you are still going to have accountability for that. How you spend your time, how you live your life. It doesn't mean that it's without forgiveness. It means you can make mistakes, but when you make a mistake, you just say, God, I'm sorry. Let me get on the right track. The worst thing is you don't want to be like my age and still doing the same things you were doing when you were a kid. You want to have moved forward from there because that's what God's desire for you is as well. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come an hour when you do not expect him. The goal in our life is not to try to come up with some sort of, uh, you know, conspiracy theory on when Jesus return. Uh, the point of this is actually saying, hey, you don't know when he's going to return. So you have every opportunity now to make the most of your life while you can. That is amazing. Like, that's great. You're like, oh, good. Now I can see more amazing things happen. God, I want to see you do more amazing things, not just in my life, but in other people's life. When Greta was... Uh, speaking her speech, I was reminded of Genesis 41. Genesis 41 is uh, where the uh, Pharaoh has this dream. 
Uh, in Egypt, and this is Joseph and, and the Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and up until now, Joseph's in prison. Uh, and the king has this dream, and in the dream he has, he sees seven fat cows, seven really fat cows, the kind of cows that we love to eat and have Chinese hot pot with. Fat, fat cows, and uh, in these dreams, these seven fat cows, suddenly these really th- seven ski- thin, skinny cows, really super skinny cows, came and ate the fat cows. And uh, the king wakes up from the dream. He's haunted by, like, oh, what's this dream mean? Can't find anyone to interpret it. And then, uh, oh, I heard this prisoner, Joseph guy. Joseph comes up and says, uh, God uh, gives me understanding, so don't give me any praise. And he said, what's this dream mean? He says, oh, well, uh, for Egypt, what it meant was you're going to have seven years of plenty. Seven years where that's so good, you're going to have so much blessing overflowing. But after that, seven years of famine. And the famine is going to be so bad, you're not going to remember what the good times were. You are not going to remember the times of plenty because the famine is going to be that bad. Now, imagine someone tells you this. Like you have this, um, like this amazing dream that gets interpreted, and you say, thanks for letting me know. Okay, well, back to prison. That's cool. That's cool. Like, I mean, that's just irresponsible, right? Like, really, someone should plan or prepare, right? Like, let's say the climate scientist said that there's going to be mass global warming, and uh, we say, hey, that's cool, and then do nothing about it. Like, that would be just as bad, right? So, but what happens is the king says, oh, Joseph, you seem like, like God's hand is with you. Can you be in charge? And not only does that, he does such a good job managing the times of good that when the times that are difficult comes, they're able to have food not just for Egypt but for the surrounding nations. Like that's the blessing that gets overflowing outwards. And that's something where Joseph is like, I am going to be responsible and held accountable for this. But much blessing can come through that. In the same way for your own life, you're like, actually, God, right now we are in a time where it's good. But at some point it may not be. I better be learning all I can now so that I'm ready for when the bad times come. When we are living in good seasons, it's really hard to imagine what it's going to be like when things get hard. But I will tell you this, while you are living and things are good, you should be equipping or training or learning yourself as, as best as you can. Like, even this church, it's, it's not perfect, but it's a good blessing. Like, if you're here, there's a lot of stability in your life. There's time for you to be able to deal with the issues that you have, to have someone bring them before God with you. You should get that stuff sorted so that when hard times come, you're not a drain to someone else, but you can be a blessing to them, and that blessing can overflow. But if you sit here, you come here, you, you don't engage, you're not actually growing, then and where's that life going to come from? The truth of the matter, I, I'm not going to be here forever. So I, last week we shared about our Mandarin pastor and his condition. He's got a medical condition that's affecting his ability to think and process language. And he's not the first uh, full-time worker that I know that has had something similar to happen to them. And, and what it does to me is I always think to myself, well, God, that's rather unfair. Uh, I mean... Like, we work for you full-time. Like, shouldn't we have, like, a peaceful death? Or, like, can I just die in my sleep? Or maybe in a room full of laughing gas? Or so I don't know. Like, can I, can I like, die happily? And uh, God really convicted me and said, you know, I, I, I don't think your life here on earth is for you to decide how you're going to pass away. And, and it's greater than that. His, his conviction was like, well, you, let's say one person. Let's say you suffer for the last 20 years of your life. But through that, one more person comes to know who Jesus is. Is it worth it? I was like, I guess technically I guess it's worth it. Because if that one person wasn't going to know any other way, 
then fine. Let my life be used to that. You know why? Because I have an eternity with you. 20 years here, yeah, that sounds like a long time. But the other part is I also know my time here is short. It's really saying, well, better maximize as much as I can. And for our church, it's also saying, well, let's, let's grow. Let's really push forward. Let's really say, God, I, I need your name to be glorified in my life. I need to get past these barriers that hold me back so that I can really move forward. I do not want to be stuck here 20 years later. I don't want to be that, the, like our friends, some of our friends, 40-year-old guys still going to, like, cream, uh, like, to hit on, like, university students. Like, that's just weird. Don't. Let's move on with your life. Move forward. This is what God wants us to do, too. Move forward past those barriers. Are you prepared for the future? I'm sure your parents made you work so hard for 11-plus exam or getting to university and you're in your degree hoping to get a good job and you're having all this planning for your future. And parents, I know we put a lot of pressure on our kids because we want to plan them for their future, too. I told my kids this week, uh, look, the reason you have to do more learning at home and you have to do these chores is because I'm not going to live here forever. I'm going to die at one point, and you need to be a functioning adult. Uh, my kid's like eight. I'm pretty brutal. Um, but to be fair, I also had the same conversation with Alex. And there was part of me trying to say, look, I need to prepare you for the future because I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, it could happen. So, and I'm obviously... Um, my son did not have nightmares that night and think that I'm going to die right away. Um, but there was a sense of like, look, I want to prepare them for the future. But the, the biggest future that we all have to prepare for is our, our, our eternity with God. And, and then that moment of accountability when he, he shows up and you suddenly feel like, oh, God, I feel really, you're right, God. I, you don't even have to say a word because I know I haven't, I haven't done, done what's right. I think about if my wife came home and the house was a mess. She doesn't have to say a word because that whole car ride up, I will be sweating and stressing so much because I know I have not been responsible for what needs to be responsible for. I may have done other stuff that she may not notice, but the stuff that I know that she's going to pay attention to, I should have done it. And I did, by the way, just to say, I made sure it was all ready because I knew that time was coming. Now with your life, with your life, it's harder, right? Because we know we make mistakes. We know we have problems. But we have to say, okay, God, well, then let me get dressed ready for service. Let me keep my lamp burning. You know, let me, don't let the oil run out. Let me still be alive like servants waiting for their master to return. And you're not waiting for him to return in dread. You're waiting for him excitedly because you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to share with him about the stuff that's happening, like the good things, like the new things. Like, like the promise of what Jesus does in people's lives is incredible. Like the stories that come out of your life with him are things you couldn't plan yourself. You know, the, the joy, the conversations, the life when people come to know who Jesus is. The tears that you pray with someone. And then to see their life mature with Christ after that. There's no comparison. For us, you need to stop. You need to take a look at your situation. Take a look at your current spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical health. And it's really taking some time now to stop and say, okay, well, God, what changes need to be made? In my life, like, these are the things. If you, if, you, if you know that you lash out at people, you have a problem with your anger, then you have to say, okay, God, that is my thing. I, I do not want to be that. I do not want to be that anymore. Jesus, because of your victory on the cross, show me how I am set free from that. Help me. Bring me into community where we can pray together. And 
hold each other accountable for this. If you know you struggle with insecurities, like you're always putting yourself down, you're lashing out at people in different ways because of your insecurities, then you need to stop and say, okay, God, I don't want to do that anymore. If you find yourself so um, frustrated at different situations or different people, you need to bring that before God too. If you know you're struggling with certain sins, things that you don't want to talk about in public, but you know they're coming out of your own fears, your anxieties, your insecurities, or how you deal with your stress, you need to bring that before God. You say, okay, God, these things which are actually preventing me from moving forward, I want to deal with these things now. Because if you don't deal with these things now, like how is God going to move forward? And he's going to say, look, actually, I gave you all of this during that time so that you could move past that. What have you done with that time? You'll be like, wow, I was scared, so I hid myself in my room, and I buried myself there, knowing that when you come back, you're going to take care of me. I was like, God's like, no, that's, you did that wrong. You know, really engage, grow, learn, move past those things. Some of you guys may just be here for a couple years, one, maybe three, maybe four, maybe just uh, a few months. Some of you guys here have been here for a long time, and you will outlive me, no, no doubt. Um, but for all of us, there's that still same question. Okay, God, well, right now, what is the thing you want me to work on? What do you think you want me to move forward on? Our relationship with God is not a Sunday thing or a life group thing. And here, when we come together, there's a good time of corporate worship. There's a good time of learning, of sharing, and hearing God's word together. But you need to each be responsible for your own actual living relationship with God. We are all servants in the master's household. And so we say once again, be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master return. I don't know about you, but this whole kingdom vision thing, this whole few months, it's, it's been burning on my heart more like saying, God, yeah, actually, no, I, want, I need to prepare myself more. I need to prepare myself because times are okay now. Times are good. But I got to be ready for when things aren't. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we know of your goodness. You know, we know of your forgiveness. We know of your grace. We know that because of you, we have uh, been amazingly gifted with uh, holiness, with new life. So God, let us grasp firmer hold of those promises of who you have crafted us to be. So then we don't keep falling in the same kind of cycles that we were in before, Lord. But really say, God, in this next year, can you really break us free from that? So we move away from that old way of thinking, that old way of living. And to really see, wow, actually, Jesus, life with you is so much better. I, I know, and I, I sense in this room right now, one of the big issues is a lot of us really struggle with self-control. Like we feel like we lack that kind of discipline or that ability. Lord Jesus, this week, in the things, in specific things that you want us to focus on, Lord, let's respond to your voice so that we act when you speak, as opposed to pushing your voice out of the way and saying, oh, I'll just do it later or something else. But Lord, this week, your spirit, when it speaks to us, let us be quick to act, knowing that we are accountable to listening to the voice of our master and respond to it. Let us not be fools who might hear God's word but ignore it. But let us eagerly come before you, our master, expectantly and eager to see what it is that you have to reveal to us. We come before you now as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.